Children, you are now dismissed to teach me to worship. And I invite everyone to stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore... Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of the great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which, which must be curdled by the bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Just as a quick aside, I need to make an announcement on, no, I don't need to make an announcement, what am I doing? Um, I wanted to point out that this morning we actually sang two songs by the, by, that were written by a band called Indelible Grace. If you are, have interest in the type of songs that we introduce that aren't always out of the Trinity hymnal, almost all of them are sung by a band called Indelible Grace, and that's, that's for free today. I just wanted you all to know that. Um, I was thinking that as we were singing both those songs this morning, that not everyone might know where those songs are coming from. In March 2023, a 57-year-old man named Sidney Holmes was released from a 400-year prison sentence after serving 34 years. In one of the most recent works of the Innocence Project, Mr. Holmes was pardoned and released from prison after he had always maintained his innocence and since he was convicted in 1988, his guilty judgment was overturned. After 34 years in prison, being wrongfully recused, he was released, he was pardoned, and he was justified. Now, with a half a dozen lawyers and a couple judges in the room, I'm going to stay in my lane, and I'm not going to comment on judicial process. But what the district attorney, what the state's attorney office said once the charges were dropped against Mr. Holmes was this. We have one rule here, to do the right thing. To do the right thing is to bring justice for all people. Justice is the right thing. Whether showing the innocence of the innocent or bringing judgment on the guilty. 
justice is always the right thing because justice is what God does. This is what our confession says about God. God is a spirit, infinite and eternal and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. This is what we heard from our study in Micah. What does the Lord require? He told you, O oh man, what, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before our God? This is what the Lord requires because this is who God is. He is a God who brings justice for all people. Mr. Holmes experienced the proper way God intended the world to be when he received true justice. And after being found innocent, Mr. Holmes can now claim justice has been done on my behalf. And we should love these type of stories. We should love when justice prevails, when justice is accomplished, because we are seeing the world the way God intended the world to be, where justice reigns. Because where justice reigns, God's people experience peace. Peace and reconciliation. Justice is what God has placed in men's heart, that we have this internal sense that if someone has been wronged, someone that we love, whether it's us or someone else, if someone has been wronged, we want nothing more in the world than for them to be made right. This is what we should desire. This is what we should celebrate when innocent people are declared innocent. But here's where we run into a problem. If we consider the deep truths of what Scripture teaches, that God is about justice, and that we are supposed to walk in relationship with God, how do we do it? How do we walk in the presence of a God who above all else wants justice to rain down like the showers upon the earth? How are we supposed to be in communion with God? Because we have this deep-seated problem of sin. All of us. Our sin, our doing what is wrong in the sight of God, our sin, our want or conformity unto the transgression of God's law, our sin that wants nothing more than to do what we desire to do rather than what God desires for us, our sin that our first parents experienced in the rebellion against who God was and what he had established, their king, our sin and our corrupt nature keeps us from the presence of our holy God who has called us. And if God loves justice, if justice is who he is, if he truly is righteous, what are we supposed to do with our sin? Because we cannot in our sin, come into the presence of a holy God. Because this is what the scriptures teach us. 
what should happen to sinners? They should be cast out, just like Adam and Eve were. They should be condemned. They should be found guilty. Those who are guilty should be found guilty, and we have no excuse for it. For we were brought forth in iniquity. We were conceived in sin, as our confession said from Psalm 51. The scriptures proclaim, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? This is our problem. This is all of our problem. And this is what David is singing about in Psalm 32. This sin problem that we all have, God has given us a remedy. And as Augustine said, this is our most fundamental need. God has forgiven our sins. This is what David says. This is what a blessed man experienced. This is what will truly make us happy. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is the one. This, is, this should remind you of what I preached on just a few weeks ago from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, or, or who stands in the way of sinners and sits in the seat of scoffers. This is the Christian way of doing life of being in covenant relationship with our God, being faithful to what he's called us to do. This blessed life is experiencing the fellowship of a God who loves us and walking in his righteousness, delighting in the law of God. But here's where the problem comes to the forefront. How can we delight in God's law when God's law does nothing but presume our own guilt? For, the works, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is what David is saying. This is what he's singing about. Because the only way a sinner like David... The only way a sinner like you and me can walk in covenant faithfulness is to have our sins removed. To have our sins covered up. To have our iniquities not counted against us. And this is what David is implicitly acknowledging. All of that is true about me. I have transgressed God's law. I have sinned against him. I have true iniquity. Transgression, this word can also be translated as just pure rebellion. It means that God has set a standard for his people, and they just say, nope, not doing it, I'm out of here. Sin speaks of missing the mark. We've missed the mark of God's standard in which the way he has created us to live. This is why Paul can say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have not lived as God has intended us to live because our sin does not allow us in that direction. 
Our iniquity refers to a moral perversion of God's ordering of the world. Taking that which he's given us to bless us and using it to bring evil and destruction. This is what David is saying. The blessed man is a man who's transgressed God's law, who's missed the mark, and deserves nothing but judgment and death. Yet what marks the life of a true blessed man is that he is forgiven. God in his grace has undone everything that that man or woman has done by their sin. Blessing is God taking our twisted nature and not counting it against us. Don't you see, this is exactly how Paul uses Psalm 32, 1 and 2 in Romans chapter 4. Typically, when we think of Romans chapter 4, we only think about Abraham and as a man of faith and how God credited to him righteousness because he believed, and rightly so. But then all of a sudden, Paul brings up David. And unfortunately, David wasn't in the same category as Abraham. The Pharisees of that day weren't wrongly identifying, they were wrongly identifying Abraham as being counted righteous because he did righteous thing. And Paul's argument is, no, he was counted righteous because he believed in God's promises. But David is the antithesis of Abraham in chapter 4. Paul's argument was not that David received righteousness based on his works. It's that David received righteousness because God did not count against him his iniquity and his sin. Paul was answering, how is an unrighteous man like David counted righteous? Because God forgave him. Because God removed his iniquity. Paul is illustrating that the same truth applied for both Abraham and David. They both were completely reliant upon the unmerited grace of a holy God. It was by his covenant. By his covenant, God chose unreliable people to bless them because he is the one who is always reliable. This is unmerited grace. God forgives sinners. Sinners like David and sinners like you and like me. Brothers and sisters, this is God's amazing grace. This psalm should be in the marrow of our bones. This psalm should be a psalm we identify with. And this is a psalm that we should sing with great thanksgiving for what God has done for his people. Because this is how Paul and the book of Ephesians describes us. Once you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Our holy God has forgiven our transgression. He has covered our sins. He has pardoned our iniquity through the blood of Jesus. For King David and all the Old Testament believers, this psalm had quite a different taste to it. For them, they had to bring a sacrifice, a sheep or a goat, without blemish to the temple. And it was the priest who slaughtered the goat and threw its blood on the altar. And as we, I'm sure all of you remember from our Monday Thursday service, it is blood that makes atonement. For it's in the blood that a thing has life. And it is through the lifeblood of an innocent being that someone can be counted righteous. And their iniquity, their transgressions, their sin upon, fell upon this spotless animal. And it was taken and it was sprinkled on the mercy seats. And their sins were atoned for. They were forgiven. And this is something that they had to do every single year. And then there was the goat, the scapegoat, that Aaron or his sons would place their hands and confess the iniquity of all the people and all their transgressions and all their sins, and they would send the goat out into the wilderness, condemned, rejected, cut off. For it was the goat that received all of the sins and the transgressions of all the people, and what happened to it was what ha should have happened to all the people. They should have been cast off, condemned, cut off from the promises of God. Because God cannot just forget our sins. Sins must be atoned for. He doesn't just count us righteous because he likes us. He counts us righteous because our sins have been dealt with. No longer do we come and bring a lamb or a goat. But Christ has made a once-for-all sacrifice as the propitiation of our sins. He was cast out. He was cut off that we might be brought in. We were reconciled. We were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He bore our shame that we might become the children of God. Our sin was placed upon his shoulders. He drank the cup of God's wrath. And now every single week we get to come to the supper, drinking his blood and receiving forgiveness. The forgiveness is in the blood. As Jesus told his disciples, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. This is what God has done for each of you by his grace in Jesus Christ. This is who our God is, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but will by no means clear the guilty because he is a God of justice. Every sin you've ever done is forgiven in Christ. 
Every evil thought, covered. Every slipped word, excused. Everything that you should have done but you didn't, pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved in Christ. Because of him, everything you have done, everything you currently are doing, everything you will do is placed upon him, and he has declared your sins are forgiven you. This is the power and the grace of our Lord Jesus. You bear your sins no more. Hallelujah. If this doesn't bring you happiness, it's because you truly don't understand the depths and the depravity of your sin. You truly don't get it. If this doesn't bring you joy and cause you to have or sing a psalm of thanksgiving, you truly don't understand how far your heart truly is away from the justice and the holiness of a righteous God. One of my biggest fears in our culture of Southern Christianity is that some, at some point we might actually forget deep down inside how dreadful sinners we actually are. And how completely reliant upon God's grace we always will be. That at some point we might try to make an argument for ourselves that we've had enough of God's grace. I can do it from here. That we might look ourselves in the mirror and say, I've gotten this far. Because don't you see that not only does God's grace reconcile us back to himself. But it's only truly understanding God's grace in the depths of our sins that we are actually reconciled to one another. Because at one moment, if we forget just truly how reliant we are upon God's grace, that's when we start refusing grace to others. Because all of us are saved by grace. There is no one here who can claim righteousness outside of Christ, imputed to them, received by faith alone. It is by God's grace that we are restored, reconciled, and redeemed to one another. This is what all of our relationships, this is what this church depends upon. All of us, seeing our great need for the grace of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus did not come for the righteous. He came for us. This is who we are. And this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God has reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And this is what David illustrates in verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. David here is describing the life of a true believer. 
If you have unrepentant sin, it should eat you from alive, from inside out. It should eat you alive. He describes that when he withheld his sin, he was dried up like a barren desert. And he could feel the guilt of his sin, which was the hand of the Lord resting upon him. And this is a very interesting illustration. Because in the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord is often spoken about the power that God redeemed his people from Egypt. It was by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm that he displayed great works and power. And here, this mighty hand of God is upon his son, not to torment him, but to remind him he has an outlet. The hand of the Lord rested upon him to show him he has a way back home from where he has found himself. Because it's only in the presence of his father that anyone can experience this kind of forgiveness. No matter what you have done, you have a way back home. And so what does that lead David to do? Well, we see that in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, for you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He did the opposite of what sin wanted him to do. Because here's the truth about sin. Our sin only tries to preserve itself. It pushes us towards self-preservation. But what David is saying is confessing our sin is the only way to preserve in the Christian life. Our sin lies to us. It tells us to cover it up. It tells us that if anyone knew what we did, if anyone knew what we were thinking, if anyone knew who we truly were, they would never accept you. Sin makes us up, makes us believe that it must be hidden away. And so it takes us into the darkness where it feels like we have to stay. But sin is only saving itself. It isn't out to save you. It's out to save itself. Your sin actually kills you. It keeps you from the presence of the Lord. It keeps you from what a blessed life looks like. That's what David is saying. Because our sin always tells us you were not worthy of being loved, don't go to the Father. But what David is telling us is that God knows your sin more fully than you ever will. And he still loves you. He knows everything you have ever done. And he still loves you and offers you a way back home. God did what is contrary to the sinner's belief. Because if we hold our sin deep inside of us, what we typically forget is who God truly is. 
So David tells us what we should do. Therefore, let everyone who is godly, everyone who has experienced God's covenant blessing, everyone who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Brothers and sisters, I implore you, confess your sins. Confess your sins to the Lord. Seriously, I almost said this, and I guess I'll go ahead and say it now. We could have ended this service after the assurance of pardon. We enacted the gospel this morning. We sang a worship song. We heard the word. We confessed our sins, both corporate and individual, and we heard the assurance of our pardon. You are forgiven of your sin in Christ, but you cannot be forgiven if you do not confess. This is the way of the true believer. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. We confess our sins because we are doing what we believe. We are doing what we believe. God is who he is. A God who saves sinners. And I also encourage you to confess your sins to one another. You do not have to bear your sins by yourself. You do not have to overcome them by yourself. If we truly are a community of God who believes we are all sinners saved by grace, we are here for one another to support each other. And to remind each other of the great grace that we have received in Christ. Just this week, as I was preparing for the sermon, I texted a friend of mine and said, this is the sin I'm struggling with. You know what his response was to me? Brother, you are forgiven. You are always forgiven. Because God's love outweighs anything that you could do against him. Because Jesus went to the cross to the cross for you. We all need friends like that. Our sin does have consequences. But there is always forgiveness in Christ who went to the cross for his people. And this is what David speaks of in verse 6b to 7. Surely the rush of the great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me for trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Like Noah was saved from the great waters of the flood, God saves his needy children. For David knows a God who can forgive his sin is also a God who can protect him. A God who can sustain him. This is the God who has come to us in the flesh Seeking us out, even when we reject him. In verses 8 and 9, there's some debate about who is actually speaking, whether the I is God or whether the I is David. And honestly, after a full day of, of reading about it, I don't think it matters. Whether it's God speaking to David that he will instruct him and lead him and counsel him, And that he will lead him and treat him like, not like a horse or a mule, 
who does not have understanding. Or if this is David speaking to his fellow believer. Verses 8 and 9 show us what Christian discipleship is supposed to look like. Christians have been forgiven of their sins. They come together and they confess their sins. They receive forgiveness and then they help each other along the way. We are not in this alone. David is speaking to his fellow believer. He's encouraging them to stay true of what they know about the grace of God. What it means to come into the presence of God and be showered with endless, unmerited grace. And when the righteous hear these words, when the righteous experience this true forgiveness of their sins, we see in verse 11 what they ought to do. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart, for you are saved by grace. Brothers and sisters, this is a psalm of thanksgiving, one of great joy, because Christ has looked into the depths of your heart, and he says, I have made you clean. Our sins have been covered. Our iniquity has not been counted against us because of what he has done for us. Mr. Holmes experienced justice. He was released from prison because he was innocent. We true experience innocence. But it's not because we are innocent. Because Jesus was innocent. We gave him our sins and he gave us his righteousness. Therefore, our God looks at us and calls us his children, saved by grace. This is the foundation of free justification by Christ alone. Let us sing this psalm together thankful for what God has done for us in Christ. The Lord has counted and continued to reveal his grace and his benevolent character to us, and we don't deserve it. But he loves us, and he has done and given us all things in Christ. Let us pray. Father, give us a vision of what this type of community should look like. A community, a body full of sinners saved by grace. Father, release the burden of our sin. Reveal to us someone that we can confess our sins to, who can encourage us in the Lord and can show us the way to God's merciful forgiveness. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. If you'll now stand and turn in your Trinity hymnals to page 846, as we confess the Nicene Creed.
page 846. Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of You may be seated. 